Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This hour is brought to you by Menards. Save big money at Menards. You train all season. You train all off season. Every day you put in for the work. You go to OTAs, training camp. You know, just, it's a long, long season. It's a long year. And whatever week we're on, what, 27? Something like that. You know, we've been playing football since late July. And to come up short of a goal of a dream, it's not fun. There's George Kittle. Now he can get on with being a Bears fan. Because he can just sit back and watch his favorite team. Go Bears! <laughs> and see as they return now. I guess as of today, the Bears return to being the center of the NFL universe. Bears are on the clock. Oh, Bears. Bears are on the clock. As soon as, that, as soon as McCole Hardman catches the ball and then realizes that the game is over. Yeah, I just saw one. Bears are on the clock. I just saw a mock draft that has the Bears with Caleb Williams at one, Roma Dunze at nine, and I thought, great success. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, you can promise me that. I would be quite pleased. And Morpheus is in the building now. Here is uh, Anthony. Let him get his headphones set set and stuff. No, I know. It just he's always on rock and roll time. He's not on rock and roll time. He's on I have a hundred jobs time. That's what I mean. He makes it rock, work. Rock and roll time would be he just decided to come here whenever he wanted. And he's on and, I have a whole bunch of jobs time. Rock and roll time. I've actually never done that before. That went better than I thought it would. That's pretty good. good. Not bad. Anthony Heron is in studio with us. You know that you can enjoy his work on The Score, Fox 32, Big Ten Network, where he does all of his analysis. He is on Twitter at Big Ant Heron, and we always like to get his thoughts after these material games. And it was bad until it was good, and then it got really interesting. Did you enjoy yourself? I did, and this, from a, a personal perspective for our family, this was the... This is the first game where we had like a legitimate sports fan in the house with us. Like my wife is a huge sports fan. She played athletics at a high level. Of course, I, I dabble in a bit of sports myself. But with a six-year-old, now he's at the point where he was truly interested in and engaged with the entirety of the game. This, so this is the, the one he'll time. remember. We were talking about that yesterday. It? it was a topic of conversation. We had what is the first Super Bowl you remember okay. appreciating, watching, knowing it was a big deal. Mine was Super Bowl Eleven. Oh, okay. After the 1976 season yeah. when the John Madden Raiders and MVP Fred Bolitnikoff what beat Fran Tarkenton. What year did San Francisco blow out Denver? That, to me, sticks out in my mind. 80, when the 49ers eight? just... Blew the doors off the Broncos. I think that Broncos. was 88 or 89. Maybe okay. 89. I think okay. that was my. So that that's my that's my first one that I remember okay. being like fully, engaged. fully aware of and, and engaged in just the snap by snap. of it. It's like maybe, yeah, it was Super Bowl 24 in 1990. Ah, I feel like 90? I must have watched one earlier than that. But yeah, that says 1990. 
for that's the one that pops into my head. But for us last night, just with the with the six year old, yeah, he was he was there. He's asking a million questions, questions we've already answered before, but he's still uncertain. The color schemes for the two teams were similar enough. Terrible. Also, he's kind of like, all right, so wait a minute, who's on offense right now? Well, where's Patrick Mahomes? Oh, there he is. Well, he's on the sideline now because they're they're not on offense at the moment. They're on defense. And so that that part was certainly fun and just the full pageantry of the Super Bowl broadcast experience. It's a lot of stimulus for a very active young <laughs> mind. So, you know, and how, how far dancing, past bedtime was it for him? Oh, it, well, we didn't let him get into overtime. We, we had to shut it down with the promise That's that we BS. would record it on the DVR. We, we told him it's on the DVR. He's going to be able to watch it today or whenever if he so chooses. But oh, overtime was late, man. We, yeah. we didn't factor that into the – And, and now Bishop's watching an episode of The Equalizer <laughs> yeah, with right. Latifah. <laughs> Dad, you didn't, this, this thing didn't work right. Why is Queen Latifah yeah. at the Super Bowl? Right. Uh, but, yeah, he knows when the trumpets sound. That, that means it's time for 60 minutes in the mornings, and now he will get some late-night Super Bowl action uh, to quench his thirst for highlights. But uh, the – a lot of times folks tend to confuse low scoring with bad games, and I don't. But last night was sloppy. A lot of that game was sloppy. You know, errors and and fumbles by running backs and penalties. There was a lot of that early in the game. That honestly surprised me because San Francisco certainly hadn't played their best football in the playoffs coming up to this point. Kansas City, frankly, had, had been playing better. You know, their defense has been stellar all season. Offensively, they'd started figuring some things out. So from an execution perspective, I really thought both teams would execute at a higher level than they were early. I've been I've been covering Christian McCaffrey since he was in high school. I'm sure he's fumbled before, but I've never seen it. <laughs> you know, for him to also, give the ball up early. That was a great fumble recovery. Wasn't it? You don't say that often. But it was George Karloftis. Mm-hmm. Usually the first guy on a ball like that, it's it dribbles out, it squirts out from underneath. Yeah. That was an aggressive, strong, like if you're teaching fumble recovery, mm-hmm. to to pull it away from two guys when you're the first guy down, we rarely see that. Right. It was excellent technique on the recovery. Great technique on the strip as well. Leo Chanel came in, former Wisconsin linebacker, and he, he went in, raked at the football, like hacked directly at the football as other guys were securing McCaffrey to pull him down for the tackle. So, you know, I would count that as a sloppy moment, though, just by McCaffrey standards. So that did surprise me throughout a lot of the first half, just the execution from from both teams, especially on offense. 49ers were super sloppy on special teams, too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so from that perspective, it wasn't wasn't the best Super Bowl. But that tends to, when things are sloppy, that does tend to lead to a compelling finish. We got a compelling finish, and we got defenses that that were a bit taxed, and that seemingly... Even though Kyle Shanahan didn't necessarily, I didn't see or hear him directly allude to that in his decision-making process afterwards of taking the ball first in OT. But I would imagine that's probably in his mind. He said somewhere. that he wanted yeah. the ball third. Yeah, yeah. He, he screwed it up. Right. They didn't know. And, and the t- and most I, importantly, knew. the players I, didn't. He didn't coach it. The ref comes out there at midfield and, and tells everybody the rules. But like, the, I mean, still, but, but Andy reads it. Apparently, Chris Jones said they've been talking about this since training camp. This is yeah. one interesting dude. They they have been discussing the change <laughs> the, in the rules and their plan uh-huh. since training. Because well, they, the, they the, know they're going to be in the Super Bowl because they're there every year. And so they, they do plan accordingly. Credit to Andy Reid and his staff. They're like, all right, let's make our plans for getting to Las Vegas because we know that's where we're going to be because this is just what we do at the end of every season. So they are certainly planning, preparing ahead for that. It is worthy of pointing out while at the same time, it is also worthy of note that I don't take that to mean 
like no player on the 49ers knew the overtime rules or that even going into the overtime that that would have changed the decision making that Kyle Shanahan had going in. Well, I mean, it's very close while not exactly similar to college rules. Mm -hmm. And what college team have you ever seen take the ball first? They always go, I want to know what I Mm -hmm. need. And if I need to get a touchdown, that's going to change the way that we're going to call these series of downs. And so Shanahan, I would have, I would have respected it more if he said, we felt confident mm-hmm. that we were going to go down and score a touchdown. But that's not what he said. He said, we wanted to have the ball third. Right. Um, and whether that, and I, was, and I get wh- that. Whether that was a touchdown or a field goal to, to have the opportunity for that third possession. I do think that that is certainly a factor in what cost in the game. So I'm not saying Kyle Shanahan made the right decision there, but logically there is a case to be made for we're going to score, they're going to score, and then we're going to get the ball back. Now that doesn't factor in the potential that Kansas City would have had to go for two because there's still an advantage on the team who gets the ball second regardless of that. And they said that they would have gone for two. Right. So if you're the team that gets the rock first, even if you go down and score – you're not likely going to go for two, certainly not after a first possession anyway. So it does – it makes sense. But You have did more say- data. You've got more control. Mm-hmm. You have more control over your destiny going second, and that's why college teams go second. Yeah. The question I have is why didn't they review that play by Rasheed Rice for a forward lateral? You got to let that mm. go, man. They called it a f- – it's look at it again. I just it. saw a different angle of it. That was a fumble. That's it was right. trying to tell you. Yes. Yeah, sure. Brian, Brian Baldinger posted a, an angle from the the 49ers end zone. It was definitely a fumble. Okay, because I heard it was it Romo who even said, "Why are he, you listening to him?" He threw it to him. <laughs> I thought immediately he'd thrown it to him yeah. after the they had already crossed the line of scrimmage. Okay, and I thought, wait a second. So what? What you saw it from a reverse angle? Yeah, it's so it's from the 49ers angle, like basically from that end zone of did, the defensive did angle. Tweet it. Yes. Okay, I'll check it out there. Because I, I have to get let it go. I let will, it go. I will after I see it. <laughs> Did you hear Boomer at halftime though? Just kind of casually float out there that the San Francisco first touchdown shouldn't have counted. Because the center was illegally downfield. He just yes, kind of worked that he in. Did. What about that would have become a bigger deal at some point in a 45-minute halftime show, but they, they didn't deem that worthy of, of additional perusal at any point in the second half. But certainly a big deal. Didn't cost Kansas City the game or anything. But then looking back at it, because there's a difference in the rules. You're talking about comparing college with the NFL. In college, your offensive linemen are allowed to be three yards-ish down the field. In the NFL, they're allowed to be one yard-ish Ish. down the field. One and, in a step. Yeah, there, there is some gray area. There is some some referee sort of you know scrutiny that goes into that. The subjectivity of it, they let it you know be a little bit lax. But yeah, you're not supposed to be three yards down the field in the NFL, which it did appear San Francisco center by the time they had laddered it around a little bit was was well beyond that one yard buffer that they're supposed to get. What I enjoyed, and we had talked about it at the start of the show, the the way that Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid were so locked in in the overtime period Hmm. where you could see Mahomes just being like, I'm not handing the ball off here on fourth and one. I'm Patrick Mahomes. Uh I'm going to run. And and he didn't necessarily deploy his running ability until he needed to. And when he did it, he came up with huge runs for them. And then, even though by his standard, he wasn't throwing the ball well early in the game. Anyway, throughout the first half plus of that game, this was not your 
your quickly decisive, rhythmic, accurate Patrick Mahomes for much of that game, but he still, in the most critical moment, was able to sort of keep his wits about him and decide what the best manner of operation was going to be. And the Hardman touchdown, the the amount of defenders who were in conflict, yeah, it was gorgeous. Yeah. It was gorgeous because you're like, okay, the safety's in conflict because he's like, wait, that guy just went in motion. I'm going to go with, oh, bleep. Uh-huh. He just reversed back out. Yeah. Then the the two edge defenders are in conflict because Mahomes goes out to the edge and they don't know what to do. And McCole Hartman's wide open. It, it was it was so beautifully designed and executed. We've seen that play before. We've seen the Chiefs run that particular play, flip sides, and it's worked. I just love that. Like I, I kept thinking, man, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes got some balls on them to run that out there at them, and and the execution of it was perfection. And. You know, just talking through motion, and how many conversations have we had about motion in this Bears offense? How many times has Layla sat right there and talked about just the lack of motion, the pre-snap. lack of consistency yep. of pre-snap motion and what it can do to the opposing defense? And it's, it, I guess, frustrating is probably the main word for why a team that runs a system that is supposed to specialize in that, why we didn't see that more consistently over the last two years with the Bears offense. Because it's twofold. Not only does it allow you to dictate the movement of defenders, it gives your quarterback so much of of a better idea of what you're in. Is it man or zone? Are Mm -hmm. you showing me man or zone? Are you pretending? Is there a tell? Something that I'm learning, especially early in a game. Oh, he's going to follow him here, but... He's not really covering him. He's racing back to a landmark. That's a disguised coverage. I know that now. And it just gives you more information. There's I I don't unless you don't trust your team to execute it, <laughs> unless you really don't think I think you're going to get mm-hmm. penalties or or you're going to have right. also procedure issues, why wouldn't you do There's more? There's no of it? good reason right. not to, right? Just a, unless it's beyond you as a play caller. Unless you do need that constant reminder throughout the game of, "Hey, we're not putting them in conflict. Hey, how about we get some motion going again here? And if you're not a guy who's competent enough at the job to sort of think beyond that, because, it, you know, if, if you just think about it within your own brain, if you think, I got it, I'm driving down the street, I know the traffic light is here. But if I'm at one of these five-way intersections and I'm going to make a hard right turn somewhere at this, like, you know, this Pentagon type of intersection, then it can scramble the eggs of people. Am I looking at that crosswalk over there? Am I looking at this one here? Which light am I supposed to be paying attention to? Should I have the blinker on now or should I wait until the next one? This time of year, if you're a Chicago car commuter, you better know your potholes. Right? You, right? you you better know where the where because the, there have been some killers, man. Uh, this is that time of year where they they're they are appearing fast. Yeah. Is there a bike lane here, by the you way? Uh oh, there's the pothole. Whoops, here's a yep. biker. I know mean, it, where your no on your route where your potholes are. You got to be able to multitask mentally in game as you're calling these things. And you know, Andy Reid is just one of the best to ever do it. And he's he's crafty within the moment. I would say that Kyle Shanahan, I believe, is a more a more consistently disruptive play caller just with what he can more consistently do to the opposing defense to create space for his playmakers. But Andy Reid, especially in the moment, you know, he's exceptional in the other regard as well, but just in the moment, having the play dialed up and having coached his guys up to execute the key play and the key moment at such a high level, whether it was back in Philadelphia, whether it was now 
in, in Kansas City, certainly even going back to his time in Green Bay. He's always had that type of mind for the moment in a game, and, and it's shown up throughout his career. And using motion to the discussion we were having a moment ago, you're basically trying to generate either of two things. You're trying to generate information or you're trying to generate leverage. And to do that over and over again, even if you don't get a big play or a chunk play out of it when you're initially using motion early in the game, but you are generating information. You have these data points that you can compile throughout the game to see how they reacted to it and set up this matchup for you. And it was really a similar formation with Mahomes at the mesh point over and over again, even on that decisive drive that won the game. It's very similar concepts of bunch sets, mesh point, and Mahomes being a playmaker outflanking the defense. And when you have a you know a maestro like that at quarterback and a play caller who's willing to sort of go back to similar concepts but give you a wrinkle off of them, then that's what separates the, the wheat from the chaff. Let's take a break and let's talk more with Big Ann Heron about the Super Bowl when we come back, I want to talk to you about the sideline incident with Travis Kelsey. Oh, yeah. yeah. Let's let's get into that a little bit, and maybe we'll even give Big Ant's thoughts on the halftime okay. performance. That's next Got here on The Score. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Bernstein and Holmes. I hate being a fan of this team. On Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Jim, we saw the frustration from Travis Kelsey on Christmas Day throwing the helmet. That's exactly what he did when he came off the sidelines, throwing it down again in frustration. Isaiah Pacheco also frustrated, went up and down the bench, apologizing to everyone. Spent a lot of time with offensive coordinator Matt Nagy. He cannot afford to have Pacheco lose confidence in himself. Andy Reid saying to him, hold it high and tight, high and tight all day. Tracy Wolfson on CBS yesterday was the best member of their crew. Yep. She, was, she was outstanding. And I love the number of people who pointed out the time we spent this year because of the whole Carissa Thompson kerfuffle mm. and talking about how they don't matter. And yes, they do. Sideline reporters really do matter. Mm-hmm. And I hope Carissa Thompson was watching. Mm. And I hope that she understood the job that Tracy Wolfson did. In the biggest game of the year, she was the most important part of the CBS crew, who I think did for their respective jobs relative to whatever baseline you want. She was the best member of their crew. Well, remember that during the Amazon broadcast immediately after Carissa Thompson made her admission, Kaylee Hartung was the best member of that crew Mm. and did an incredible job of letting you know what was going on in the sidelines in both of those games getting you updated on, like, serious injury stuff. Like, I thought that she put on a real clinic in front of Carissa Thompson on how you're supposed to do the job. So You you guys had Andrea Kramer on last week at some point, right? Yes. She she was exceptional in that role for years where there's a level of aggression that you need to be willing to, to get into because you're going into tense moments, and it's not like a basketball broadcast where you literally can step into the huddle with a team, but a football sideline with all the bodies and traffic 
that's roaming around there and whether it is a player going into the blue injury tent or if it is an interaction with a coach and a player on the sideline. And, I mean, honestly, just, just you know, fully uh, just being, you know, fully uh, transparent transparent on it. Yeah, I mean, there will be times where if, if you're a player or a coach and you see a sideline reporter who you don't completely trust, then maybe you, you're more guarded with your interaction in front of that individual as opposed to I, I can just kind of let it rip here and I can kind of be myself. And knowing that that individual isn't going to go out of their way to make you look bad. And is it something you're fully aware of at times? No. But you certainly, when there's somebody who's kind of outside your normal sort of interaction space, somebody who's not a player, not a coach, you see them roaming by. You're aware that you're on TV. Certainly last night, but in, in all broadcast scenarios, you're aware you're on TV. And in the sideline, when you see somebody walking up that's got a microphone nearby, if you're conscious of that, then it can impact the way that you're interacting there in that moment. And I'm not saying Travis Kelsey went over there knowing that, you know, that Tracy Wolfson was nearby and said, I'm going to run over Andy Reid regardless. But just to speak to what it kind of takes to be excellent in those scenarios, the tension, the bodies that are there to still be able to get in there, get nearby and deliver succinct information where you got to get in and out at times too, where the ball's getting ready to get snapped. It can be hard in, from the booth to really get in and out in a timely manner. And the best sideline reporters to tell the full arc of the story that we just heard from Tracy Wolfson there before they actually snap the next the, the ball again next, that's that's what sideline reporting is at its best. She she actually had mentioned that. I think, Dan, you were off. I think Layla and I talked with Tracy mm-hmm. when she was on the show, and she talked about like how important the, the job is. I, I want to go back to the actual incident, though. Mm-hmm. This is four incidents that I count. I don't watch every Chiefs game, but mm-hmm. in the preseason – he started two fights in camp. Then there was the incident on Christmas. And then there was this one. When you're watching him, and in the Christmas one, Andy Reid was like, yeah, don't give him his helmet back because he's not going back in the game yet. Now, you're probably not going to do that in the Super Bowl. But what did you think of seeing Travis Kelsey be that demonstrative with Andy Reid on the sideline yesterday? I definitely thought he was doing too much. I mean, you know, it's one thing. Players will will slam their helmets frequently and, you know, little pieces will fly off at some point. You got to go get the chin strap or somebody's got to run over and get your your cheek pad or something like that. All right, let me tighten up the face mask for you. But on the whole, slamming a helmet is one thing. To, To go and damn near headbutt your head coach and almost knock him, toppling him over. Yeah, to, to me, that does matter. To me, that is doing too much. It, it is something that most individuals wouldn't get away with. And if it was a different game, maybe Travis Kelsey wouldn't have got away with it. But it does show a lack of composure. In An amazing football player, one of the best of all time, but that shows a willingness, a propensity to lose his composure in moments like that. And, you know, whether it is a, a coach to player or a player to coach, when those things happen, yes, it is it, it, incredibly intense on the sidelines during a football game. And I can only imagine even how much more intense it is during the Super Bowl. But between the two teams, and yes, both were sloppy in the first half, but in multiple reports from Tracy Wolfson about how things were flowing on the sideline during the game, it was Kansas City that was the squad that was that was more seemingly – you know, sort of beyond the bounds of their composure. Yeah, how many team meetings? You had Chris Jones. You know, right. You, you saw all of it, but to physically assault your coach? Come on. I mean, you're doing way too much. You know, you go over there. If you want to shout something real quick, usually you see a player, if they're going to shout something at a coach, they're kind of walking away from the coach, shouting something to them, just to mm-hmm. let you know I mean it. But I'm not about to get up in your grill. Andy Reid's trying to, like, you know, design the next series of plays, and he's down there getting toppled over by Travis Kelsey. So it's one of those things where the Chiefs, just like the Dubs or Draymond Green, 
you know, the Chiefs will handle this and move on from it. They've won another championship. But in most other scenarios, that, that would be well beyond being excused from anyone. I'll make this prediction. Whether today, whether at the parade, or it's one thing for everybody to laugh it off right now. I think on his podcast, maybe, on the Kelsey Brothers podcast, Travis knows that that's a terrible look. The, mm. meme, the memes are terrible. I think we'll see some form of awareness of that, if not a full public apology. I would certainly hope so, and, and I would imagine it will probably happen. And again, because of the level they're winning at, is why it's able to be sort of excused and in some ways laughed yeah, off. They by lose a lot that of people. game. That's not funny. No, not not At in all. the least. They don't and have fun with that. He's being raked over the coals and his public image being raked yep. over the coals that much more. But because they win the game, he's able to go to the podium and be the party guy again. And the images on social media, them celebrating afterwards. Then folks move on with the storyline that much more quickly. But that's that that's an issue in most in nine other scenarios out of 10 in 11 other scenarios out of 10 that's an issue aside from one of the best players of all time on the sideline during a super bowl what did you think of how brock purdy played i thought brock purdy looked like brock purdy he is a good football player who is not amongst the elite at his position in the sport but brock purdy was playing better than patrick mahomes throughout the entire first half he was more in rhythm. He was more decisive. He missed throws because Brock Purdy misses throws. But he made throws as well and sometimes throwing guys open towards the sideline on out routes. So I, I thought he played well. Um, you know, in the second half of the game, there, there were certainly moments where they started to heat him up more. Where, and especially for a guy like Brock Purdy, who is mobile as a quarterback and as an athlete, but then don't allow him to just sit there and decide when it's time to use his mobility. Once they started to get some pressure going and, you know, there were some opportunities there. Tony Romo was pointing some of them out where you get a whip route going and maybe that's the one that decides the game, but the blitz comes. Purdy's got to kind of sail the ball out there a little bit and couldn't make it happen. So there's a couple of those throws where when they did actually go with some blitz pressure that Brock Purdy wasn't able to make them pay for it. It will likely be a scenario that plays out similar to, to Jimmy G. You know, if we get into next season and, and it feels that much more like Brock Purdy is some kind of limiting factor between Kyle Shanahan and the Super Bowl where now – I think in three Super Bowls, one is the OC and two is the head coach, there's more questions now than ever of whether or not Kyle Shanahan is part of the limiting factor from Kyle Shanahan winning a Super Bowl here. But in the end, I don't think there's any legitimate case that Brock Purdy is what's holding San Francisco back from a championship formula. But at the same time, it's silly to think that that means he is amongst the elite at his position in the sport. Like, Baker Mayfield would be an upgrade from Brock Purdy. Kirk Cousins would be an upgrade from Brock Purdy. To me, that's not saying anything negative about Brock, about Brock Purdy. That's There are good quarterbacks in football who are not amongst the elite at their position who are better than Brock Purdy, while at the same time, Brock Purdy has shown he is a good football player capable of making plays in the NFL. You sure you take Kirk Cousins over Brock Purdy? I would. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would I too. Okay. I don't have no, a lot I'm of doubt not, over that. I'm not think, necessarily. I'm just, although you're coming off. This injury at his age, oh, well, yeah, right. that yeah. probably yeah, that's even I mean. that would be a healthy Kirk Cousins. So yeah, I mean a, a healthy Kirk Cousins. I mean, you know, we we haven't seen Kirk Cousins advance to NFC title game, two Super Bowl stages, and that sort of thing. He was dancing at NFL Honors though, wasn't he? He's, Looked healthy. I think he's fine. Healthy ish. You know, I mean, he he has made a lot of plays and a lot of throws, and if nothing else, Brock Purdy has shown that you know whatever we think of as like the quote unquote clutch gene. Throughout this playoff run, Brock Purdy, in bad games, has had the final drive or two where he's gotten his game going, which can be really difficult to do when you're just not in rhythm in a football game. He definitely deserves credit 
for that. That's something that Kirk Cousins, conversely, at least in primetime games and playoff games, hasn't done as much. He has led a lot of comebacks in the NFL, certainly. Uh, but on the biggest stages where Kirk Cousins hasn't necessarily been at his best. But like, just which one is a better football player right now? It's not a doubt in my mind. It's Kirk Cousins. Did you have to cover the TV at halftime? Oh, not in the least. Not okay, least. I just wanted to no. make sure that Kelly wasn't, you know, one <laughs> no. of these women where, she like, she would go, go, go on tour and now <laughs> you're all by yourself. She was trying to figure out how old Usher was. Because, I mean, you know, Usher's basically our age. We, me and Kelly are both in our mid-40s at this point. So as Usher, she's thinking, like, wait, is he still, like, 35? Is that like, no, man, Usher's been out since the 90s, man. Yeah, Usher's he's in been 40 30, 30 years of Usher. Yeah, so, no, nah, but, I mean, you know. God, hey, that's wild. For being 45, I, I had to pull up his age. Like, yeah, man, Usher's 45. Usher's a little bit older than me. Get your mind right. I did the but, same uh, when I saw Christopher Walken. How old he is? 75? 74. 80. Is he 80? Is he really? That was one of my favorite commercials was Christopher Walken. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to. That's next segment. For okay, us all right. Yeah, that was one of my favorite ones. I enjoyed that just because everybody's got a Christopher Walken impression that they do. So just him, that's got to be his daily life. That's probably legitimately what he and goes it through. Probably annoys the hell out of him. <laughs> just think about him driving around and folks just doing him to him. That's got to be a good Look, time. But my we enjoyed watch. The, yeah, right. But we, we enjoyed the halftime show and all the special appearances. I hadn't looked into who was supposed to be out there. So it was a, a 180 sort of experience for us because when, when Kelly and I were in Atlanta when I was with the Falcons, we went and saw Alicia Keys. And John Legend, this is back a good, whatever, 20 years ago-ish now, but John Legend opened for Alicia Keys at the Fabulous Fox Theater. And then Usher came out as a special guest during that show we went to in Atlanta. So we're seeing, like, you know, we're just waiting on John Legend to pop out at halftime last night. I was like, oh, here's, here's Alicia coming out of nowhere. They're doing their thing. We're just waiting on John Legend to come too. But I guess you only need – uh, one pianist during a halftime show at a time. It's true. Pianist. It's true. But I, I like the way that she was. Back to Mark Wahlberg and his commercial for a second. <laughs> I like the way that she was brought out there. Like, that was just, like, I thought that was so dope. And mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of her. Yeah. And not Alicia Keys, of but the her, artist. Her. her. Right, yeah. And seeing her come out there and do the guitar solo for You Got Didn't It she Bad. almost move like Prince? Like, she holds yes. the guitar really low. You, you can tell you that can, that's an influence. Right, right. And she just looks cool with everything she does, and the riffs are stellar at all times. Yeah, that was a nice uh, ode to, and, and my ticket is a bit of an ode to Prince with her being out there. Then, of course, everybody else, you get like Luda being out there for like a brief moment. Just got a brief moment of Luda, and that was great. It, you know, yeah, I, Little I John being halftime. in the crowd. It was kind of like the halftime show was basically for our age group. Yes. Basically, for everybody who was in the like 90s and early 2000s hip hop and R&B, it was I, for you. I felt that, that 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 halftime show was very, like there were layers of it, but it was clearly for <laughs> mid-40-somethings, uh-huh. probably black, uh-huh. probably southern. Right. Because yeah. there was there was a lot the of ATL, ATL stuff yep. Yep. that was going on there. And like the beginning of it was clearly like what his Vegas residency is, where it's just like there's all sorts of stuff going on and there's gymnastics and Right. It's all, almost like Cirque du Soleil breaks yes. out for a little while here early. But but then like once he got into it, you're like, mm. oh, okay. <laughs> all right. I see exactly who this is for now. Right. And had the Kappas come out there. Uh-huh. You know, so you had that, you had HBCU stepping yep. going on. You yep. had skate culture <laughs> going on. You had Atlanta strip club culture going on there. I thought it was fantastic. As long as there's lemon pepper wings at some point. 
<laughs> I'm sure after. <laughs> Somebody would need a styrofoam container of lemon pepper wings. I'm, I'm sure afterwards. It's not too heavy on the lemon pepper. I like a little bit. But, but see, I, I like that that's uh, what, what Bishop is all about now. Mm. This is now my thing of when I'm going to rib places, mm. like I want the ribs dry. I'll decide. Uh, how much sauce there needs to be, uh, and and if right. you're slathering your ribs in sauce, what are you hiding? Well, you trying I feel to hide like you got right. bad ribs. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Just give me dry. Just give yep. me like I'll pay. I'll pay the extra. I'll pay the seventy five cents for it on the side. Rib. Yep, and let me figure out how let much. Let me have one rib. How much for one rib? You got change for a hundred. <laughs> Big Ant, thanks for coming by. Appreciate you, fellas. That's Anthony Heron. Next up, we have High Noon, and we will give our opinions on the commercials. There were three ads that actually caused me to smile, chuckle, or laugh. Or, or like, nod appreciatively and say, do the, the comics uh, good stuff, good, good stuff. Most of them left me confused and left me saying, who is that? Which means you're old. Uh, yes, I know. Who is, who's that? What is this product? Who were those people? What were they selling me? How many Jeff Goldblooms are there? And why is he so popular? How rich is Timu or Temu? Didn't they buy like 37 Super Bowl commercials? All I know I is like cost money. I ordered something on Timu and my son got all mad at me. Why? Because he said, don't do that because bad. You just gave dad. Now they've got your data and it's something. And I he said, it's like a fishing. I ordered a couple fishing lures. I ordered. And they were fishing P-H-I-S. No, I ordered pl- well, uh, maybe, but I ordered these like uh, plastic worm harnesses. They're these little rubber gaskets. It, it's it's a long story, but they were the best price by a mile. And he's like, no, 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 you can't do that because now they have your data and the Chinese government knows who you are and they're gonna. I I don't know. It, there's no that's Alibaba. That, that's already a, that's done already. That's no matter what you sign up for. That that's right. A TikTok. There's no privacy no. for anything anyway, so why bother? Okay, great, awesome. We'll talk about the commercials and Dan being old next here on The Score. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score. I'll be back this way on Monday. We'll settle this then. Right there, out in the street, in front of the Palace Saloon. Yeah, right. When? High noon? Time for High Noon. We've been breaking down what we saw in the Super Bowl, all of the strange ending and players not knowing what was going on. The Chiefs wide receiver that caught the game-winning touchdown didn't know he'd caught the game-winning touchdown. Tony Romo stepping all over Jim Nance's Super Bowl call. And apparently Kyle Shanahan never really coached his team about what they were doing and why. And there are guys on his team that didn't really seem to understand what was happening. Anthony Heron talked about things as well, including his thoughts about the halftime show. It's so you want to talk commercials? I will tell you. See if you can name. There were three at the top of my list. Three commercials. One might surprise you, but I'm just being. I have to be totally honest about what made me laugh. The there, Twisters trailer. No, that that was that I mentioned before. That confused me because I thought that was an awesome setup and not a real movie, but it's a real movie. The Dunkin' Donuts commercial. Yeah. Yep, that was that it, because or Dunkin' because they're not Dunkin' Donuts because Matt, anymore. Matt Damon was hilarious. Well, it's also fun. You know, think about that juxtaposition with Ben Affleck and 
He's been a great ambassador for Dunk. I mean, no, I know that's a thing. better be for what they're paying him. Oh I mean, I know, that, I know like that's a thing. Like, million. Hell yeah, man. Have a little fun. Yeah, so and the fact that, that J-Lo was a part of that, but just Matt Damon, his deadpan responses absolutely stole the show there, and Matt Damon can he can do very little wrong in yeah. my eyes. Maybe selling the crypto stuff, but... Yeah, uh, there's been a couple other things where Matt has been... Not as on point as he usually is, but overall, yes, he's he seems to be so a that's, good man. That's one for sure. The other we the Christopher Walken ad. Yes. I thought was extremely clever, and that was filled with all kinds of little things. Even the dance move by the by the Maitre D was was Fat a, Boy Slim. That was a callback to Fat Boy Slim. And the fact that Usher is in the outfit that he wore to begin the halftime show. Don't you have to be somewhere? It oh, was yeah. it it was that I enjoyed it. And the third one, <laughs> it was so stupid, but I, but I, I, I actually did. <laughs> was there the caramel Reese's with Will Arnett doing the voiceover? Where they and, jump in and yes, out of the house. Yes, and, and the guy like puts his head in the chili, takes his head out of the chili. The guy smashes his head on the wall, and then he's re-drywalling the wall. And the woman jumping out of the window and jumping back in the window and out of the window and back there, and they're undoing everything. That that I I will always respect any joke that does rule of three, rule of seventeen. Like if you if you go back to the well again. If you're willing to go there again and, and, and keep it going, I admire the effort. I enjoyed, and it had been kind of leaked that this was going to happen, but I enjoyed the Michael Sarah Sarah V commercial. I'm Michael Sarah, and human skin is my passion, which is why I developed this. Sarah V. Oh, you didn't know? Can skin truly be this moisturized? Oh. Yeah. Wow. Let my cream hydrate you. <laughs> Three essential ceramides. Sarah V. Developed with Michael Sarah V. We like? <laughs> so my name is Sarah. And so there's it's perfect crossover opportunity. See my problem, my problem with it, it was great until the self-reference. If he you has just to act like let it stand as is. Let us Play figure out that your name is Michael correct. Sarah. Well, he but says his it. bit is being no, awkward, right, so but, you got to have the element of no. The, but it, but that, but he sort of plays against type in that regard. If he plays it straight, and it, it, to me, it, he sort of punctured the joke at the end by having him appear in I, front of the boardroom and and as well, if he's pitching it. I agree with Ray that that is what Michael Sarah does, though. Right, human like skin that, is my passion. He's nerdy and that, awkward. That was very Scott Pilgrim esque. What he did there. So I, I I thought it was it was great until they ruined it. It rubs the lotion on its skin, or else it gets the hose again. Now, that guy has a passion okay. for skin too. Now, if you got Ted Levine as James Gum to do a lotion ad, now we're talking. Now we're on to say if you can get Ted Levine with all his junk tucked in. Standing out there writhing, selling lotion. Then we're back, baby. So he's next to you. Human skin is my passion. That's right. It's very important. That is High Noon. We do it every day around this time. We're going to continue football and Super Bowl coverage. Dan Wiederer is going to join us, and we'll break it all down with him. And now the Bears are on the clock. What does that mean? We'll discuss with Dan next here on The Score. Stay prayed up.